Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Carrie Gino introduces our series of messages on 1 Peter. And now, here's Carrie. Oh, thanks for uh, typing out my sermon for me. Thanks, Eve. It looks like we're going to talk about Jesus today. Uh, just a few things before I start. Uh, people have been wondering why, after I give a sermon, I don't go to the exit and shake hands. Because of a story I heard of this uh, young pastor that was preaching his sermon in church. And after the sermon, he went to the exit and started shaking hands with the congregation. And people thanked him. And this uh, elderly lady shook his hand and said, thank you for that good message. And he said, don't thank me, thank the Lord. And she said, it wasn't that good. Anyways. So that's why I don't go out there. And for some of you who may find this talk a bit dry, there are pillows out in the foyer if you want to grab them. Okay, we're doing, what are we doing? Oh yeah, First Peter, introduction. So let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the life and ministry of Peter and all the apostles and the prophets who gave us your scriptures for learning. This morning we pray that you would give us a teachable spirit and desire to learn the truth of the message of Peter's first letter. We pray that we would not have, a, have any unscriptural biases or learned prejudices. And we pray that we would not accept any unbiblical interpretations. Guide us into all truth. And may we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen. The Apostle Peter wrote to a suffering church. The believers had been scattered throughout Asia Minor. Peter writes to them with the love of a pastor who is caring for his flock. As a shepherd cares for his sheep, or as a mother cares for her children. Peter identifies with their pain without being fatalistic. He speaks very directly about their suffering. He refers to their suffering some 16 times as he brings them comfort and practical counsel. Peter speaks about hope. In fact, hope is the central theme of this epistle. When we live our lives as strangers upon the earth, and when we live in constant communication <coughs> with God, we can enjoy the life of hope regardless of the external circumstances and our present sufferings. However, Peter is not only writing to comfort Christians who have known suffering, but he is preparing them for the increased suffering which is about to come under the deranged of Nero, the infamous emperor of Rome. 
And as many as our Christian brothers and sisters are suffering for their faith in Christ in other parts of the world, it is possible that we too may face increased suffering in the days ahead. So Peter's words of instruction are also appropriate for us today. Concern should not be only for what the Lord was saying to Peter's contemporaries through this epistle, but what he is saying to us personally. We need to be strengthened and encouraged in the faith in the same way that the early Christians were. Here we go. Okay. In chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Peter, he introduces himself as the author of this letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. In addition, he <coughs> calls himself a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ in chapter 5, <coughs> verse 1. Peter is writing as a loving elder of the church of Jesus Christ. And also in chapter 1, verse 1, Peter identifies recipients of this letter. To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These pilgrims, or strangers, have been scattered throughout Asia Minor because of their faith in Christ. And as James writes in his epistle, primary to Jewish Christians, a people dispersed from their original homeland due to persecution, Peter writes his letter primarily to the Gentiles or non-Jewish believers. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a role belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter refers to his readers as once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. He, of course, is referring to the fact that Gentiles were not a part of the first covenant with God made with the Jewish people. But now we are the people of God as part of the new covenant covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. Again, in chapter 4, verse 3, Peter refers to the fact that his readers once lived as the Gentiles lived, but now they should live by the will of God. However, the message in 1 Peter is appropriate for both Jewish and Gentile believers. We are now the people of God. We are a new nation of people who belong to the kingdom of God. In Jesus Christ, there is neither Jew or Greek nor Gentile nor Canadian nor Russian. We are all one in Christ Jesus. As Paul writes in Colossians Chapter 3, verse 11. Christ is all and in all. The date of the writing is probably around A.D. 64. And tradition tells us that Peter faced persecution in his own life and was actually crucified upside down on a cross 
sometimes around A.D. 67. When he was sentenced, he requested that he be hung upside down because he was not worthy to die in the same manner as his master. It's likely that Peter wrote this epistle from Rome. The only clue that we have for this is Peter's use of the phrase, greet you from Babylon, in his salutation in chapter 5, verse 13. Within Peter's lifetime, there were three possible geographical locations which could have been identified as Babylon. The first was a military outpost in Egypt, where the city of Cairo is now located. The second was a small village located on the Euphrates River. Although there was a small colony of Christians there, we are told that they fled under violent persecution in about A.D. 41. So it's unlikely that Peter wrote from either of these two locations. It is more probable that he was writing from Rome, which has traditionally been referred to as Babylon within the Christian church. Tradition contends that Peter spent the latter years of his life and ministry in Rome. And it's upon this tradition that the Roman Catholic Church bases its papacy in Rome. Over the next couple of months, as we study this letter, first, we shall attempt to understand what the Holy Spirit was saying to the original recipients in Asia Minor. <clears throat> then, as we examine our own lives, we'll try to open be open to the guidance and revelation of the Holy Spirit for truth, which we should apply to ourselves in, our, in these modern times. Like James, Peter shares very practical advice for us to follow so we can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So Peter begins his letter to a suffering, scattered church by reaffirming the basis of salvation. He uses expressive words such as elect, living hope, abundant mercy, an incorruptible and undefiled inheritance, and salvation. The following is an outline of 1 Peter. Chapter 1, what salvation is all about. Chapter 2, what Christian living is all about. Chapter 3, what being good is all about. Chapter 4, what suffering is all about. Chapter 5, what Christian leadership is all about. It may help if you turn to 1 Peter and try to follow along if you can, because I'll just be touching on certain verses. In chapter 1, Peter writes why God has chosen you. The special choosing or election has been extended through the new covenant to all who would experience salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Peter tells his readers that they are those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, <clears throat> through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, sprinkling by His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Salvation is assured for all those who trust in Jesus Christ. And this wonderful knowledge results in genuine hope. Salvation is the very core of Christianity. 
because it was for our salvation that Jesus Christ came to us as a man and lived among us as a servant. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. He is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. There's a great and marvelous mystery in our understanding of the Scripture regarding the relationship between the sovereignty of God and the freedom of the will of a person to believe. The Bible teaches us that both exist. We have been chosen or elected by God to obey Him. Anything less than obedience, obedience is hypocrisy. John chapter 14, verse 21. We are also chosen by the foreknowledge of God. God knows everything, past, present, and future. Peter uses the same term <clears throat> in his sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, when he refers to the crucifixion of Christ. We are elected according to the sanctification of the Spirit. It means to be separate or to be set apart. And we are cleansed, sanctified, and we have a new covenant with the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. I don't want to infringe on the talks of my fellow speakers as they guide us through the rest of this epistle over the following months. So I'll just give a brief outline of the rest of Peter's letter. Peter then, then talks about the fringe benefits of the new birth. The fringe benefits include that Jesus Christ has given us, given us a living hope, and this hope makes no sense without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This hope not only offers us eternal hope, but it also guarantees us a heavenly inheritance which is kept by the power of God. He also tells us how trials can bring joy. Peter acknowledges the legitimate grief that comes from trials. But in the midst of that grief, God is graciously assuring us that there is a positive purpose in our suffering. The possession of joy is always dependent upon living a vital relationship, having a vital relationship with Christ. Salvation is a major theme of this letter, but the message of salvation is always relevant and urgent. It's appropriate for every generation, every culture, and will never become outdated. Peter reveals three steps which we should follow for if we are to live a life of holiness. We must prepare our minds. We must be obedient. And if we are to be holy, we must recognize the source of the holiness. We must know Him, love Him, and obey Him. Peter reminds us that we should live not only as strangers, but as those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. We are to live with our faith and hope in God. And love is at the very center of Christian lifestyle. We must love as God himself loves. To love as, to love as God loves means we must love with all our strength and with a pure heart. The word of God will endure forever. And so we'll love. In chapter 2, 
Peter writes that true repentance must always begin with putting off evil and turning from it and turning to God. The Old Testament is about turning from sin and following 613 laws. The New Testament is about turning to God. God is concerned that we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and that we no longer be spiritual babies or children tossed about with every wind of doctrine and that we grow to become more and more like him. Tasting leads to the deep desire and craving for pure milk of God's word. Peter refers to Jesus as the living stone. We need to come to him, the living stone, that we might have eternal life. It's difficult to distinguish between the sovereignty of God and our free will. However, it's not difficult to understand that God has known from the beginning who would believe in him and who would reject him. Within the kingdom of our Lord, there is a wonderful mystery regarding whether we have chosen the Lord or he has chosen us. Anyone who has subject, studied the subjects carefully in the scriptures may realize that both are true. In the new covenant, through Jesus Christ, he invites all of us to be members of his royal priesthood. From the very beginning of his first epistle, Peter is reminding his readers that we are citizens of a holy nature, nation. To belong to Christ is to belong to his kingdom. Peter shares three specific steps which we should follow in living good lives before God, the world, and one another. Godly living always begins with forsaking sin. And Jesus Christ has invited us to enjoy a life of freedom. Only in Christ can we be truly free, live as servants to God, and honor all people and love each other. As Christ has so lived for us, we are able to live for him and for others. His love for us and for all people motivated him to bear our sins in his own body on the cross that we, we might be forgiven of our sins and live for righteousness. There's an ancient Jewish proverb that states, God could not be everywhere, so he made mothers. For many, he has expressed himself through the lives of Christian mothers. The following is taken from a woman who wrote to a newspaper columnist. She writes, Woman was created from the rib of a man. She was not made from his head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon, but out of his side to be equal to him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. Peter reminds his readers to live in harmony with one another and to be sympathetic or compassionate towards one another. We are to love one another within the church, and if we are, allow, if we are to allow Jesus to live in and through us, we must be tender-hearted. We are to be courteous in our attitude 
and be a blessing wherever we go and through whatever we do. When we bring blessings to others, we are blessed ourselves. For the goodness of God is a blessing to everyone. The Christian faith makes no sense, nor does Christian lifestyle ever work, until and unless we set apart our lives to allow Jesus Christ to be Lord. Peter uses the example of giving a defense for the hope that is being communicated through us in the way we live and the way we act. And that is based upon the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As we share the good life with others, we must do so with the Spirit of Christ, with gentleness and respect and a clear conscience. We need to respond to others with the same respect which Jesus has for all persons. Our Lord never violates or ever forces His way into our lives. He is gentle and respectful and loving. We need to have that kind of respect for others. We have, we have the wonderful opportunity to be light and salt to a hurting and dark world. Suffering for doing good seems to be much more of a challenge in most of our lives than suffering for doing evil. God is not the source of evil or suffering, but He allows suffering to come into our lives even as He allowed it to come into the life of His dear Son, Jesus Christ. As the Lord allows suffering to come into our lives, He uses it for our good. The wonderful forgiveness of sins and cleansing of the conscience comes through the wonderful salvation which comes to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Peter's helpful and encouraging teaching on the subject of suffering reaches a climax in chapter 4. As we know, our conduct is greatly determined by our mind or attitude. When our attitude is right, our conduct is usually right. If we were to have the mind or attitude of Christ, what a difference it would make in the way we live each day. And prayer is always appropriate for the Christian. It's a vital communication vehicle between a believer and his or her Lord. To pray is not merely to talk to God, but it is to communicate with God. Authentic prayer includes listening to God and responding to Him. Jesus said in John 13:35 that by our love others would recognize us as His true disciples. Authentic love must show itself in action, in practical ways, and hospitality is one of the options. Peter contends that each one of us has received at least one spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are grace gifts of the Holy Spirit, given only to those who have been born again of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of spiritual gifts 
is to be used in ministry towards one another. When we're living in the flow of the Spirit, and when we're using our spiritual gifts in the power of the Spirit, God is glorified through Jesus Christ. He is the one worthy to receive glory and praise forever and ever. And life is not merely lived in the present. We're accountable to God for all our actions. There's terrible consequence for sin, but there's great blessings if you believe for the believer. And glory to God results when a Christian suffers for the name and the cause of Christ. As we entrust ourselves to our faithful creator, we should continue to do good because it's always the will of God and it's always appropriate for the Christian to do good even when we are suffering and hurting. And that's what Paul and Silas did as they suffered in the Philippian jail and that's what we should be doing day by day to the glory of God. God has entrusted many with the marvelous privilege of shepherding his flock in the form of the local church. The Lord does not force or coerce any to be involved in ministry. He calls us and he invites us to ministry. But we have the freedom of saying yes or no. We're not to serve for monetary or personal gain. Instead, we should minister eagerly. Investing in the lives of others is one of the highest callings and greatest privileges which God entrusts to any person. Peter is sharing his own experience with Jesus. It was Jesus who taught Peter and the disciples this important truth about Christian leadership. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 to 28. Whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter addresses the younger Christians about submission. We cannot truly follow Christ until we're willing to submit to him as the Lord of our lives. To be submissive is to obey. And obedience is vital to Christian lifestyle. Submission and accountability are closely related to humility. To be humble is to have the Spirit of Christ. As we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we should become increasingly dependent upon Him. Matthew 11:28 to 30 Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. As Peter comes to the close of his first letter, he shares some important counsel regarding how we should be standing firm in the faith. We should be self-controlled and watchful. God wants to restore what sin has taken from us, to mend what sin has broken, to complete us so that we may grow to become more and more like Christ. He will strengthen us and make us firm in our commitment to him 
as we depend more and more upon him and we give him the glory and the dominion forever and ever, we recognize more clearly who he is and who we are. And that causes us to bow down and worship him as Lord. Peter's final words reflect two of the major themes of the Christian faith, which are key words in the vocabulary of the Christian family. Love and peace. Peace is a fitting word for the climax. The people of God who are suffering and dispersed and unsettled can enjoy God's peace, which is far more wonderful than our minds can comprehend and which no one can take from us. So to summarize First Peter, it is a primary message of steadfast faith and perseverance in the face of trials and with a focus on living in accordance with the teachings of Jesus. This morning has been, in the words of the movie industry, a trailer of what is to come over the next couple of weeks. As our speakers dwell more deeply into First Peter and bless us with the wisdom that God has put on their hearts. So we hope you will join us here or on Zoom in the coming weeks for the full-length feature of the first epistle of Peter. And may God bless our speakers and us as through the Holy Spirit we renew our living hope in Jesus Christ. I'll leave you now with the closing words of Peter's letter. Peace be with you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father, we do thank you that we do worship a holy God. We worship a God who loves us and has compassion and love for us, who provides his word and revelation in a way that we can understand and draw close. And so as we read perhaps First Peter in its entirety today, may you give us a sense of clarity and understanding. Help us to be drawn to you, Lord our Savior, our hope, and our future. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this time we've had today, and we commit ourselves to you as we leave this place. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.